Good morning, afternoon or evening listeners. Very often on this podcast, we talk about stuff that can be rather dark and suggest that our future may not be so rosy. We are very lucky to have interviewed Stephen Hale and talked about modern monetary theory with Stephen, and we've both been feeling enormously upbeat because it seems like there might be an economic theory out there actually grounded in reality that could help us solve problems. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what we got out of it, what we think we need to think about, and give you hopefully another way to think about what we thought was very important. Good morning, Tim. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) I confused you by saying good morning, Tim. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get used to it. Good morning, David. Good morning, Tim. So not only are we delighted by the fact that there's an economic model out there that is constructive and capable, it's that there are significant players who are proponents of these these models. it, It wins at a multitude of levels. Yeah, it's not just some cooked up theory that's sitting in Adelaide necessarily, it's all over the planet. I think this is the thing that really struck me as a starting point talking to Stephen. I have always felt, and so many people I know have always felt, that economic theory seems half-baked. The way our political masters run economic theory seems half-baked. But knowing it's half-baked and knowing that there's an alternative are two very different things. Mm. So having gone from the point of going, economic theory is largely half-baked, it's nice theory that reifies reality, tries to turn reality into the theory so it all holds together, doesn't work. Mm. So to go, hang on, here's something that Warren Mosler developed from his experience of working in investing and the finance industry, not from years of theory, not from doing a thesis on it, but what did he see and how did he make money based on what he saw? And the proof he understood what he saw is he made a lot of money for himself and other people Mm. by applying what he was learning about how the economy really works and how money really works. So to me, that that's so powerful to go back to the core thing of practice and experience. Mm. Which, you know, in some respect is kind of all you really can do with economics insofar as you can't test things. Well, you can if you're in charge, <laughs> but ideally we want to test things that have come out of practice and experience. Mm. And it is informed. It's, to a large extent, kind of isn't really theoretical it's just that it has reconceptualized some of the the ways that we interact with money and yeah. how i think about it especially in the political economy yeah i remember becoming aware when i did my first big pile of reading on where neoliberalism came from mm. you know reading about just after world war ii the first major conference in switzerland and that these were a bunch of people whose principal aim was to discredit communism and discredit socialism within the west that was their aim. This was not an economic movement. It was a political, ideological movement. And I don't think I really understood until we talked to Stephen the extent to which neoliberal economics is an ideology. Mm. It is not something founded in practice. Mm. It has become our current practice because the ideology has been absorbed to the point where it's just now what countries do or at least what English-speaking economies seem to do. But it's just an ideology. 
And that was a really powerful thing. I'd always gone, this is so ideological, but never had the penny drop. Yeah, but that's all it is. Mm. It's not actually grounded in things that work. You know, listeners, if you've only just listened to Stephen's episode or you're just overwhelmed like we were, like when Tim and I finished the interview with Stephen, we did our normal thing of wandering off to Zambero's to have a burrito. And we were far less perky than usual because we were just overwhelmed by how much information we'd absorbed. We were all excited, mm. but like, wow, how much can we learn in one hour? So to reiterate something that we thought was really important on the day, a household and a country aren't the same thing. You and a country economically aren't the same thing. A household or a person is a currency user. A country like Australia that can control its own currency is a sovereign currency issuer, which means the rules are fundamentally different. You and I have to balance our budget or we end up in debt and end up in a world of shit. If a country makes decisions to create money, to spend that money on real resources, to achieve public goods and keeps in mind that it needs to keep the economy running effectively to serve society, it needs to be careful of inflation, it needs to be careful of the implication of creating new money and spending it on real resources to make things happen, a government that is a sovereign currency issuer can do almost any sensible thing to promote the well-being of its people. Mm. That's the facts. And it's a profound set of facts. To me, I think this is probably one of the best examples of concept, uh, line of thinking, just information that not enough people know about. No, the fact that I had got so tired of Bernie Sanders sounding like a salesman Mm. that I'd stopped listening to what he was actually saying. When he is the major proponent who could end up, you know, President of the United States and able to implement this with the support of people like Stephanie Kelton to keep helping the policy, you know, levers to be set with good economic theory based on economic observation and practice. This is an incredible leap forward. But we get so overwhelmed by stuff. You know, you and I are always reading and thinking. Mm. But here's something big we missed. And it probably makes sense to something. This is why we got Sam and Jaden on. They're enthusiastic. They know heaps more than us. They told us we should you know, talk to Stephen. And awesome. Well done, Sam and Jaden. Thanks. You guys were excellent. And thank you for telling us to talk to Stephen. Absolutely. Because unless you dive into something because you want to learn, you don't even know where to start in some areas. Mm. So it reinforces to me, again, why we're making the podcast. Mm. We wouldn't, or I certainly wouldn't, can't speak for you in this case, I wouldn't have known I want to know about modern monetary theory if we hadn't talked to Sam and Jaden and then talked to Stephen. And none of that would have happened if not for the podcast. I can tell you right now there are people in my life who probably wouldn't have wanted me to learn about modern monetary theory so because <laughs> it's gonna well that's what i found in the last few days talking to people about it mm. people get very excited but then realize it's clashing with everything they've been fed by the media mm-hmm. everything they've been fed in conventional economic theory and the bullshit that we've been fed by our political elite mm. in a country where both major parties have absorbed the ideology of neoliberal economics as if it is actually a meaningful functional description 
of how the economy works. Absolutely. So I can think of another example of that, which we've talked about reasonably extensively, is your experience with William Glasser and how yeah. you've given his book, you know, to an, a psychologist friend, and they would rather just not comment on it or yeah. or have even known that it existed. existed. Yeah. In much the same way, I think this is a crazy example of how we have just been fed for my whole life. I've experienced yeah. neoliberalism and in that hour that we spent with Stephen Hale, everything that I thought about economics, everything I thought about how a country is is even run, really, how we fund things, yeah. was turned upside down. And what's so, you know, I think it's an important thing to put in context here. Modern monetary theory tells us what a sovereign currency issuing state can do mm. to get better economic outcomes. Mm. This does not change the fact that across the developed world, household debt is at disastrous levels. You know, the amount of money that individuals and households owe is dangerously high. Mm. It doesn't change the fact that underemployment is a massive issue across the developed world. Mm. It doesn't change the fact that economies are going through transition and the transitions are poorly understood and even more poorly managed. All these things are still true. We are still on the brink, I believe, of some sort of major economic cataclysm, which, you know, the hit on a Saudi oil facility mm -hmm. has only made worse because now the market's freaking about oil prices and freaking about that may rise costs just enough that people can't handle their debt burden anymore. But, and this is the really significant thing, for all my years of teaching at university, my feeling has been that we're sleepwalking into an ineconomic, environmental, social and political disaster. And I've spent most of my teaching existence training people to be better little virtue ethicists with more problem-solving skills because I don't know what they should do when the shit hits the fan, but I want them to be competent mm. and to be able to overcome the cognitive dissonance. Right, so you've painted a reasonably bleak picture, I suppose. You know, sleepwalking, I think, is a really good term. What has given you hope out of modern monetary theory to either steer us away from a crash or to bring us back from the, the ash? You know, I the would ashes? love it if we could literally pull our heads out of our asses as societies and do something before the sleepwalking leads to a monumental crash. I don't think we're that clever. <laughs> I'm not actually sure the Americans are smart enough to pick Bernie Sanders. But I think the key thing I took away from talking to Stephen is for once I can see that as long as a state is still a sovereign currency issuer and there are real resources in the world and a state can create money to buy those resources to generate public goods which will affect the economy, which will have a positive effect on society... We have a state-based mechanism for improving things. And that neoliberal economics does not offer us. Mm. It only says, oh no, we need surpluses. No, we can't spend money, we don't have it to spend. And that's all bullshit. States have invented money whenever they needed to because they had access to real resources which they could pay for with new money which put more money in the economy, had people being more confident, more engaged, and as long as they didn't create inflation or overcook the economy, we kept winning as long as we knew that was reality. 
So it sounds to me like you're saying that the basis of everything comes down to resources. Yeah. So we've uh, talked to Richard Heinberg before. What happens when the resources run out? Well, I think this is a significant thing. And this is, you know, why we need to sort of investigate with Richard. Has anyone at Post Carbon done any work on modern monetary theory? Because, yes, resources are becoming more limited. But the world is not resourceless. We go, we can't recycle properly, it's too costly. We can't do this properly because it's too costly. We can't plant the zillion trees, it's too costly. We can't build any other desalination plant, it's too costly. Now, the answer to that from modern monetary theory is bullshit. There are sufficient resources in the world to do all these things. They would all generate public goods. A state could generate money to do any of them, one at a time, carefully, without destabilising the economy, just creating enough new money to buy the resources, to achieve the public good, to pay more money to more people for more things, thus also promoting the private economy. Even if... Okay, I'm not talking about the fact that I think we've got a silver bullet for saving the world. Mm. But I now genuinely believe that we have a legitimate economic toolkit suitable for states to come up with a workable adaption strategy to the shit we've dropped ourselves in. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to adapt. We can't save every species. We can't save every environment. The world is going to look a hell of a lot more trashed than it should. But instead of it being a gradual decline and getting worse and worse until there is a major population decline that would free resources, at least with this toolkit, there's stuff we can genuinely do. It's part of the solution. Yeah, it's the first critical thing, and that is if we think up something good to do, there's a way we could make it happen. We were talking before about the cognitive dissonance of MMT was out there, we hadn't found it. And we work really hard to beat the cognitive dissonance out of our heads by making ourselves read, by making ourselves question, by making ourselves write to guests and invite them on, by making ourselves go, no, yesterday's answer is not acceptable. Mm. And yet we still missed something very powerful. And like with finding William Glass's psychiatric ideas very powerful, MMT has that same ability to get people's backs up because it challenges all their preconceived biases and they go into full-blown cognitive dissonant mode. So trying to convince people of it who are not used to having an open mind is a nightmare. <laughs> but guess what? If I'm willing to do it over glasser, yeah, just head bump my head against theirs a few more times. Can't be so bad. But to actually have a tool where if we can think better, we now have an economic tool that can allow us to do better. Mm. This is a radical leap. And to be able to say, okay, we still need to do heaps to get people to save more, to not be in as much debt. But we can do a lot of state things to help that. We can help the underemployed have more hours. We can make sure that more people are earning and therefore can be spending and that the private economy is healthier. We can have a better debate about pensions. We can have a better debate about healthcare. Because according to modern monetary theory, both of these things can be provided because they're public goods. And because you're spending money on resources that exist to get a public good, what you're doing by spending the money is maintaining the economy at a higher and healthier level than it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to try and explain how MMT 
deals with deficits. <laughs> it's too complicated for me. I'm only a few days into this. But the reality is deficits are not the problem the neoliberals would have us believe. The neoliberals think we have to pay that money back. Mm. No. We can create new money as long as it's founded on real resources and generating public goods that don't destabilise the economy through inflation. Mm. The policy settings for this are going to be complicated, but it cannot be worse than economists playing with purely theoretical models and messing up our lives and economy as a consequence. Yep, so example of the things that maybe people uh, of the cognitive distance, maybe people really want a surplus. That was such a... For a household, a surplus is critical. Yeah. Because when things are bad, if we don't have a surplus, we have to borrow. And if it's bad for us, Mm. it's bad for someone else. Borrowing will cost more. And if we're already in trouble, how could we possibly get out from under that debt? This is an individual or household or non-sovereign currency issuer problem. But even if we wanted, let's say we don't even accept this premise. Would you actually want a government who taxes more from you than they spend? Well, let's look at you know the Labor government under Rudd with Lindsay Tanner clearly being the economic brains, mm. throwing money at Australians. Yeah. Kept us out of the GFC. Totally. Well, Or you look at the Howard government previously with a massive surplus, effectively meant that they taxed more from you than they spent. And this is another thing that just blew me away, you know, talking to Stephen about MMT and then reading about it. Mm. Tax is not about earning, well, tax is not about collecting money to pay for things. Like it used to be. Tax is about managing the temperature of the economy. If you want people to spend more money, Tax them less. If you want people to spend less money for the health of the economy, for the well-being of society, you, know, you tax according to the outcome you need for the economy to serve the society. Mm. And right, there's global implications here of how do you get these policy settings right within an individual state when we're so interconnected. This is going to be harder than I'm making it out. But for once, we have a tool that says we can do stuff rather than tools that say, oh, no, our hands are tied. Mm. We just don't have the money. Rubbish. We have real resources. We have public goods. We understand inflation. Thanks to Warren Mosler and Stephanie Kelton and Stephen Hale and other people like them, we have a body of literature based on analysis of reality rather than political ideology masquerading as legitimate economic explanation. Mm. Now, this doesn't mean MMT in its current form is perfect. The whole integratedness of the world now might mean that MMT will continuously have to be refined, but if our foundation for refining it is from the perspective of what does practice tell us, that can't be a bad thing. No. I guess what's left to say is what do we need to establish now? What's, well, where, yeah, we get, where from here? Audience, go and watch as many hours of Warren Mosler and Stephanie Kelton as you need to to get the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And then start diving into Warren Mosler's writing about MMT. And I particularly like his writing because this is someone that made money in finance, explaining how money actually works. Each step away from Warren is a step more to theorizing it and moving towards policy settings. Don't go on to that kind of reading until you understand how money works. And on the basis that Warren's career 
goes from the early 1970s till now, he's been making money for himself and clients the whole way through the neoliberal debacle. Mm. The man understands the system. Start there and send us questions. So next time Stephen's on, we can play your clips and get Stephen to talk about it. Send us your questions. So when potentially we interview Stephanie Kelton in January, we can you know, use your clips to get her to explain things better than we can. This is the beginning of not just wanting to fix things, but seeing there is a genuine toolkit to effectively apply the resources that exist. That's not to say the resources aren't limited, but we have limited resources and we now have a toolkit we can use to implement meaningful change. And that's more than I thought there was a week ago. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that, David. Thank you, Tim. Catch you later, audience. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Peace out.